In those days, a decree went out from Caesar, and so everyone went to their town to be registered. Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem along with Mary. And when they were there, it came time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field at night and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born. For you who is the Messiah, the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. I am James. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, For the rest of the series, by the way, and probably for our series after New Year, we will need Bible readers. And so none of you will do as well as Mackenzie. But uh, if you would like to be a Bible reader, let me know. And um, I would love to get you signed up. So hope you had a great week this week, some beautiful weather few of you out shooting Bambi, appreciate you doing that on our behalf. That's less of those animals running in front of my car. So thank you very much. Uh, we're glad to be here this morning. I, uh, I love names, uh, unique names, quirky names, meaningful names, mildly inappropriate names. Um, there's a pro golfer whose last name is Shank, and I just find that amusing. That's just a terrible name to have as a pro golfer. My favorite NBA player is a guy named Ball Ball. Um, and every time I watch a game with him, I think the ball's rolling on the floor and people are yelling, Ball Ball. And he's thinking, are they talking about me or are they talking about the ball? Um, the, that would be like if my name was Bible Bible as the pastor, you know. The Lions used to have a defensive back named Harry Colon. Now you may think... <laughs> That's inappropriate to say in church, but um, imagine if that was your name, like how you would feel about your parents. Like, what were you thinking? That's terrible. My dad had a close friend growing up. His name was Ashmead Pringle Pipkin, which could be my favorite name of all time. So I did student ministry for a long time. I would often serve as the camp speaker. And each week we'd get like four or 500 kids that would come in. And um, so before each gathering, we would pray, a group of us uh, would gather and pray for every single kid by name, four to 500 kids, one by one, name by name. It's a lot of names. So to keep things interesting, I would find on this list my favorite name. And I would make it a goal. I'm going to meet this young person and pray for them and their friends throughout the week. One time there was a guy uh, there, his name was Jacob Manlove. And I just thought, I've got to meet this guy. What's it like to be a high school kid and your last name is Manlove? Um, Another girl, uh, one of my favorites, her name was Savannah Studebaker. I love that name. My all-time favorite, we're looking down this list, we're praying one by one, Sammy Summer Camper. And I'm like, come on, Summer Camper? We are at Summer Camp and your last name is Summer Camper. So for me, anybody who knows me, for whatever reason, I 
love, I'm just tickled by just different names. Um, some of you have great names. Um, the Bible is filled with great names, whether it be Habakkuk or Jehoshaphat or Dorcas or, uh, uh, of course, James, uh, the literal brother of Jesus. What an awesome name there. The cool thing about the Hebrew language and often about Eastern culture in general um, is that beyond sounding cool or unique, very often names have significant meaning. You might be familiar with the Old Testament story of Saul. Um, during the time of the judges, the Jews kept asking God to give them a human king. Um, and they wanted to be like all the other nations. And God was like, you already have a king. It's me, right? And then Samuel, whose name, by the way, means God has heard, he tells, uh, he was kind of the prophet at the time on behalf of God. He was telling the people, this, this is all the reasons why it's bad to have a human king. He's gonna, he's gonna rule with an iron fist. It's just gonna be bad for you. And the Jews basically demanded that God give them a king. So God finally says to Samuel, okay, give them a king. And so Saul becomes the first king of the Jews, and he was a terrible king. He didn't listen to God. He was not a high character person, just a bad king. You know what Saul's name means? It means you asked for it. <laughs> you know, you want a king? I got your king right here, all right? We'll give you, and so it's always a great Bible study practice when people and places are mentioned to look up what their names mean. Which brings us to this new series that we're beginning today. We're gonna be looking at the names of Jesus. Now, to be clear, we're not going to study all of the names of Jesus. Um, there are a couple of hundred names or titles of Jesus found in the Bible. I think we have a, a little graphic that just kind of represents just some of the different names that you might find if you um, were. We're just going to look at seven over the course of the next, next seven weeks. We've titled the series, And He Shall Be Called. Now, that's a reference to Isaiah chapter 9, which is a spot where the prophet Isaiah foretells hundreds of years prior to Jesus, he foretells the birth of the coming of Messiah. You may be familiar with that song, and he shall be called wonderful. I can't sing, but you guys maybe know that song. Um, and in that passage alone, Isaiah lists five Names for Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Emmanuel, none of those we're going to talk about in this series, okay? So there's a lot of names. Uh, the, the phrase, and he shall be called, in the Hebrew, it's Shem Kara. Everybody say Shem Kara. Go. Shem Kara. Shem, Shem is name. Kara means called, but it really implies proclaimed, cried out, or made famous. And our goal in everything that we do here at RIV and through this series is to proclaim the name, right? To proclaim the name of Jesus, that he would be made famous. Our focus today will be on Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, which is a bold claim to say, my dad is God, right? Really our question for today, and I think for the series, do you believe really that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God? In the Greek, Son of God is huios theos. 
That phrase appears 46 times in the New Testament, huios theos, every single time it refers to Jesus. In the Old Testament, by the way, uh, there's only one Son of God reference. Does anyone want to guess which book of the Bible that's in? Anybody know? Nobody? It's in Daniel. Daniel says the fourth guy walking around in that furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looks like the Son of God, and a lot of scholars would say it was the Son of God, that it was Jesus himself. In our culture, there aren't really many, really I couldn't find any examples where there are people today explicitly claiming to be the Son of God that are going, I am the Son of God. There are people who act like they think they are the Son of God, right? That happens all the time. In Jesus' day, it was very common. After Julius Caesar was assassinated in 42 B.C., he was formally deified, like in Roman law. He was, it was required of Roman citizens to call him Divus Julius, which means the divine Julius, which meant his son, Augustus, was legally required to be called Divi Filius, which is son of God. They have found thousands of these coins, Caesar, Augustus, Divus, Filius, that, that he was known as the son of God. It was required by law for people to recognize him that way. Augustus, by the way, was adopted. And so the myth of his divinity was that his mom was asleep at night in the temple to Apollo and a serpent impregnated her. And that was very common in the Greek world, this mixture of gods and humans and sort of, if you know anything about Greek mythology, Zeus was the god of gods and he fathered multiple sons and a couple of them with human, that didn't really happen, but that's what they believed happened, right? When Alexander the Great died, he had become convinced and was telling people, I am the literal son of Zeus, not my actual father. So into this kind of world, Jesus was born. The claim that he was the son of God, the only son of the only living God, was a huge affront to the Romans, to the Greeks, and to the Jews, right? In a pluralistic like culture like they had in the first century, and like we have today, very pluralistic uh, world, the son of God title was very offensive. It's very offensive to a lot of people now. It's what ended up getting Jesus killed was this claim that he was the son of God. Nonetheless, the followers of Jesus, they were relentless in this assertion that Jesus was the son of God. Mark, in the beginning of his gospel, he starts with, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ Son of God. The angel tells Mary that her child would be the Son of God. John the Baptist testified it was true. Nathaniel recognized him that way. Martha believed it in John 11. The centurion on the cross said, remember, truly this man is and was the Son of God. Even the demons acknowledged it. They were when they would see Jesus, they would call him by this phrase. And ultimately, being the son of God cost Jesus his life on earth. In Matthew 26, verse 63, the high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said it, 
Jesus told him. Jesus was always a little bit kind of vague with his, <laughs> I just love Jesus. He's like, oh, what do you, you know. But I tell you in the future, you will see the son of man, which is another phrase that we'll talk about here in a coming week, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes. The high priest was like, this guy is claiming to be the son of God. You tear your robes when you're grieving, when you're angry. He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? Now we've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. And they spat in his face and beat him. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? A lot of people believed and claimed and proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. Once he confirmed it, it sealed his death. Today our focus will be on the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John said that he wrote his Gospel, if you read in chapter 20, so that you may believe, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the whole gospel of John was written for that purpose. John was a pastor in the city of Ephesus, which was heavily populated. It was a port city, very vibrant, right on the, the coastline there. Greeks, Romans, Jews, multiple worldviews. It makes perfect sense that more than any other biblical author, John emphasized that Jesus was the only son of the living God, because that was something that wasn't widely believed in the city where he was pastoring. He begins his gospel, as we've already heard from our friend Mackenzie, uh, like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So from the beginning of time, before there was even a beginning. <laughs> Jesus was, and he was with God. It was God's plan all along, prior to creation, that his only son, Jesus, would be the savior. In Matthew's first chapter, he wrote, but after Joseph had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now remember in the Hebrew, names mean something. Your name can often be your destiny. Hopefully, not always. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. And so the plan all along, says Matthew, is he will save his people from those sins. So let's call him God saves. Let's name him what he's going to be, what he's going to do. Notice that Matthew also said that child conceived within Mary was from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. And again, that would not have been an uncommon myth in the first century culture. That really happened. That's the origin of Jesus. He's the literal son of God in that unique way. 
God himself miraculously brought forth his only son, Jesus, into the world. That directly contradicted the Greek and Roman mythology that was very pluralistic in those days. Verse three, all things were created through Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And so here, John begins to describe the implications of Jesus being the Son of God. Son of God is more than just a name or a title. It's a reality, right? It has an effect on the whole world, on everyone who's ever lived. He lists four things here. Number one, nothing exists apart from Jesus. When you're the son of God, you have tremendous power. Everything, John says, exists because of him. In fact, he says, not one creative thing, created thing wasn't created by Jesus. Then he says, life is found in Jesus. Life itself is found in God through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given us life. We are here today as living, breathing human beings. He holds our lives together. Our bodies function because he is the one giving us life and he also holds the keys to eternal life. Then he says the life of Jesus is the light of men. When we think of light, we think of what? Like hope, truth, clarity, goodness. Like if all the lights went out in here, all of a sudden, right, it would be chaos. We'd go, whoa, 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 what just happened? We don't want that. Turn back on, turn the lights back on, right? In a world filled with, with doubt, uncertainty, evil, the light of Jesus pierces that darkness. And that's the fourth thing, nothing can overcome that light. At the end of the day, Jesus wins. The light triumphs over the darkness. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not John referring to himself. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus hadn't quite arrived on the scene yet, but he was coming. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and the world uh, did not recognize him. And then down in verse 15, it says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one is coming after me, ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me, more implications of Jesus being the Son of God. Number one, number five on our list, we must know who we are not. John the Baptist was repeatedly asked, are, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? And he's like, no, I am not any of those things. He was like emphatically, no, please don't refer to me that way. I am here to point others to him. But I rank below him. I'm not the light. I'm not the savior. I'm not the Messiah, right? Our job, John says, is to testify about Jesus. It says, he came as a witness, right? 
Shem Kara. We proclaim the name of Jesus. Verse 11. He, this is Jesus, came to his own. That's the Jewish people, right? He is the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews. And so first, he starts by proclaiming himself to the Jewish people. And his own people did not receive him. Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of men, but of God. And so Jesus first approaches the Jewish people because that's the trajectory of their whole faith tradition. They were waiting for a Messiah. And the response was mixed at best. There were certainly Jews that ended up being followers of Jesus. Most of his disciples were Jews. And, uh, but largely, they did not receive Jesus. They rejected him. But I love verse 12. All who did receive him, everyone, it doesn't matter, Jew, Greek, if you grew up Christian, if you've never heard the gospel before, whatever your backstory, male, female, older, younger, everyone who receives him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Anyone who receives Jesus and believes in his name is part of God's family. Because Jesus is God's son, he can bring anyone he wants. <laughs> in his, he's like, this person knows me. They're in, right? Through Jesus, we can become children of God and later on in the New Testament, co-heirs is the phrase. In other words, we have the rights of being children of God. We are, our our uh, uh, glorious in, eternal inheritance awaits all of us. Now, before we said that Jesus was the only son of God, and now we're saying, well, wait a minute. How are all these people becoming his children? Is that different? How does that work? And he must have millions over the years of people who have joined the family, right? Well, take a look at Ephesians chapter one. I really like this passage. I'm actually gonna start in verse three, which is not on your screen, just because it's so great. It says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Amen, I love that. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And so I like that um, Paul was the pastor in Ephesus prior to John. And they use kind of the same language here, this kind of before the foundation of the world to address the people there. This was important language. God's sovereign will, the good uh, pleasure of his will, was that before the foundation of the world was laid was the Jesus Christ Adoption Agency, basically, right? I'll never forget years ago, my friend Ben and his wife Stacy, just the best people, they sent me a text and they were asking for prayer because the next day was gonna be gotcha day. And I had never heard of that. I said, well, what am I, what am I praying for here? What is this? 
And, and they had been working for years to finalize the adoption of their son, Jaden, and gotcha day was the day it became permanent. They could look at Jaden and say, we have chosen you to be part of our family. You are now our son. Nothing can ever change that fact. We gotcha. You're ours, right? And that just passed, by the way, a couple days ago. And so I always text them and say, I remember that. He's like 11 or 12 now. Now, the sonship of Jesus is unique. Only he pre-existed creation. Only he was the author of creation. Only he was born directly of God. But by his grace, he has chosen to adopt all who trust him as his daughters and sons. The word there is huios, but it has a modifier. It's huiothesia, which means placed or chosen or assigned as sons. I love that. Through the sonship of Jesus, those who trust Jesus gain the rights as adopted children. It's beautiful. In Revelation, it describes, I'm sorry, going forward here, it describes how John, uh, back in John 1, how he uh, how, how God put this plan into action. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. This is the earthly part of God's sovereign plan beginning. Jesus pulling on human flesh. God and Abad, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, there's that title again, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. There's like 10 powerful theological truths in that little section. So a couple that I wanted to highlight. The one and only son from the father pulled on a human body and walked the earth alongside people and by watching his life, listening to his words, following his example, we are able to observe God's glory. It was God's way of revealing himself to us fully in the fullness of his son, Jesus. We see the perfect rhythm in his life of the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Imagine if you could live fully with both of those at the same time. We tend to be like super truthy people and not so gracious or super gracious people, afraid to say the truth. He was full of both, right? Through Jesus, his one and only son, it says in this passage, he heaped his grace upon us, grace upon grace upon grace. Nothing we deserved, nothing we earned. All through his uh, long ago created and devised sovereign plan to save. Now I see two responses to the realization if we were to, going back to what we, we asked earlier, if we believe really that Jesus Christ is the only son of the living God. 
Here's the two things I think we must consider. Number one, confess. Number two, proclaim. Remember earlier we talked about Shem Karah, proclaim the name. But first we confess. In Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, and who do you say that I am? Imagine you get to spend a day with Jesus in the flesh, and at some point he just turns to you and says, hey, who do you say that I am? What's your deal? Who do you think I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's that phrase again. He knows who Jesus is. And Jesus answered him, you are blessed, or blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Anyone who confesses the name of Jesus as the Son of God, that's a gift that God himself gave them, right? And Peter's words, by the way, and his life reflected this. Peter ended up proclaiming the name of Jesus for the rest of his life and then giving his life for the sake of Jesus, the Son of God. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? It's the single most important question for every single human being to consider during their time on this earth. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Maybe today is the day for you to confess that Jesus was and is exactly who he said he was and is. Maybe today is your gotcha day. Ask God to reveal himself to you supernaturally as he did to Peter. And then once you've received Jesus, it's confess and then proclaim. Receive Jesus, believe in his name, and the natural outpouring is gonna be this sense of gratefulness that will cause us to shem karah, to proclaim the name. This morning, we're gonna baptize 35 or more people across all our Riverview venues, about 15 to 20 of those right here on this stage. Each one proclaiming the name of Jesus in this act of obedience. They're saying, this is my savior. This is who I'm gonna follow. I want everybody to know it. I'll never forget the day that I I was uh, speaking at a a week-long camp. It was tired. It was tired at the end and and, I finished up my final message. Kids were saying their goodbyes. It was a group, little, maybe about this size. Buses were rumbling outside. This was, we're almost done. And I turned around, there's this high school girl standing there and she was just weeping. And she told me, I said, well, tell me what's going on. She said, I, I received Christ this week. And she said, I wanna thank you for being the one to tell me about Jesus and her, her friend, her leader. They were all hugging and she, I was just so touched. I said, what's, you know, what's your name? She said, I'm Savannah Studebaker. And, I, and I, like, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I was like, don't be weird, James. Don't be weird, don't be weird, don't be weird. <laughs> Because I'm weird. I'm a little weird. So I said, <laughs> I said, hey, I just want you to know, by the way, I love your name. And um, we've been praying for you all week. God answered those prayers. So can we do something here just for a few minutes to close our time? Could we spend some time praying by name for our friends who don't yet trust Jesus? You know, it's holiday season can be this kind of one of the things we want to do with this series. 
I mean, it can be a time of great reflection for people. There's a lot of pain that bubbles to the surface, a lot of loss, a lot of heartbreak. Um, it could be a great time to invite someone to a service or a RIV community or take the opportunity to take someone for coffee and someone in your family or whatever and proclaim the impact Jesus has made in your life, like, life, like our, our baptism folks are gonna do. We all know people that we're hoping that they'll find Jesus. Um, and I like praying by name because names matter. <laughs> Each and every person was created by God and is known and loved by God. He knows your name. And so the way we'll do it, because I don't want to be weird, is um, I'm just going to leave a minute or two of silence here. And you can write down the names of those folks that you want to be praying for if you want on your tear-off or, or, or maybe type them into your phone. Um, it, you can maybe say them softly out loud, the first names. You can huddle with a few people around. You, you can pray silently in your head, whatever kind of works for you. Um, just know that, that as you're lifting those names, God knows those people. Each name means something to him. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna close us in prayer and then we'll move into a time of continued worship through song and through baptisms together this morning. So let's take a few moments to pray for those names. Lord, I thank you for the women and men, young folks who are here this morning to proclaim your name through baptism. For Mackenzie and Rachel, Brennan, Reagan, and Aiden, Gabriel, Jesse, Tiffany, Dylan, Jordan, Aubrey, Isla, Kayla, Dylan, Aaron, and for Claire and for her, her grandma, Victoria, who's here to baptize her today as well, Lord. We are just so, so thankful for your powerful work in each of their lives. What a privilege to hear each of their stories over the past few weeks, to be so encouraged by the work you're doing in our community. We thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate with them today, the opportunity we have to proclaim your name in the coming weeks and months as we move towards celebrating the birth of your son. Um, just give us courage and wisdom in those conversations with the folks that we know that don't yet know you, Lord. And use your, your powerful spirit to bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way we'll do these baptisms, if by the way, if you are here and you've recently uh, become a follower of Jesus Christ and you would like to be baptized this morning, 
we would love, we got a lot of room in that tub. So uh, we've got t-shirts and shorts and towels in the back. We'll have somebody from our team, one of our ministers, will hear a little bit of your story. Um, and then you can jump right in with these other folks that are going to be, not at the same time, but we'll go one by one. And, um, and, and we'd love to have you join us um, in, in that. And, and so what we'll do is um, the band is going to kind of lead us through this next set of songs. And um, as folks are kind of coming up out of the water, we can cheer for them and celebrate together and kind of hoot and holler and just have a big time of celebration and then sing the truth of God's word simultaneously and it'll just kind of just kind of work at the same time like that. So thanks for listening this morning and uh, let's get to it.